Welcome to the Property Nomads podcast. Today we have an absolute treat for you. Bit of a tongue twister, the six top tax tips uh, with Sean, the property tax accountant. A bit of background about Sean. Sean is a chartered accountant with 20 years of experience. After many years with the big four accounting firms in various locations around the world, Sean founded the Property Tax Accountant Limited, a company that specializes in providing accounting, tax and business partnering support to UK-based landlords and property investors. Sean mainly serves those running small property businesses that typically follow the buy-to-let BTL, BRRR, flipping or R2SA, which is rent to service accommodation strategies. Sean particularly enjoys working with investors that are towards the beginning of their property journey. Sean operates a 100% digital practice, which enables him to support his clients from anywhere in the world. Currently, he splits time between the UK and the Caribbean. Sean and his wife, uh, who is also a chartered accountant, are also property investors and have their own buy-to-let portfolio in the UK as well. Uh, For this episode, the six top tax tips, just as a forewarning, uh, myself, I'll be doing a lot of sitting back in this episode. So what you're effectively going to hear is a presentation from Sean. I will interject every now and then uh, when I feel the need to, or just to clarify uh, bits and pieces. But in effect, this episode is a presentation from Sean, uh, who is, of course, uh, able to provide such advice. Uh, All of that being said, Sean, welcome to the Property Nomads podcast. Hi, Rob. Thank you very much for having me. Great to have you on board. Uh, We've got actually a bit of a a spoiler alert. Uh, We've got a a few episodes, actually, uh, this one, and then we're looking at a few others as well. So, you know, looking to digitalize business uh, and then also uh, how to invest uh, remotely, which we'll be touching on in a completely different episode. Before we get into the nooks and crannies of this episode, is there anything else you'd like to add, Sean, to that introduction? That was a a wonderful um, introduction. So thank you very much for that. Um, You've you've absolutely nailed it. Um, Indeed, I I do split my time um, between the UK and and elsewhere in the world, um, doing and applying the the digital nomad and uh, location remote um, location independence um, lifestyle really which is which is wonderful for me but also wonderful for my clients um, I also as you mentioned there invest in a property portfolio myself so I, I, I do hope uh, that I'm well positioned to be able to provide advice on this really important topic absolutely hundred uh, percent and this is a sort of uh, attraction I think we've had when we've been speaking off record as well is you, you split your time uh, as you've mentioned I'm looking to start splitting my time in in the future as well uh, we both like doing a bit of traveling and importantly as I'm sure you'll elaborate in a this episode or a later episode you are uh, an accountant that can you're talking the talk but you're also walking the walk by investing and that's incredibly important isn't it it, it really, really is. Um, yeah, I, I'll certainly mention in the in the presentation later is is that getting that right advice upfront is just so so important. Um, and, and with with no disrespect to to generalist accountants, that they're, they're in a really tough position to be able to provide that um, specialist advice that property investors really really need. Um, 
you know, if, if you're appointing a generalist accountant, you're going to get general uh, advice. So that, that, to me, in my mind, that is just simply not good enough for property transactions. And let's think about this. These are really high value and can be very complex transactions. And therefore getting you know, things like tax and many other things right, right from the start is just so important. You know, once you've committed to that transaction, it's very hard to un- undo it. So it's really important to get everything right, right from the word go. As we like to say, start with the end in mind. If you know what the end goal is and you are concrete in, in what that end goal is, that will always help uh, when you're speaking to various members of your power team, uh, you know, accountant, mortgage broker, whomever it might be. Start with the end in mind. I'm guessing you've done that with your portfolio as well. Indeed. You know what the end goal is. Exactly. That's exactly right. You know, if you can, you know, know if you're going to flip that property or put it on the buy to let market, for example, at, at the end when you've when you've purchased it or even before you purchased it, decide what you want to do. I recognize that you know, life doesn't play out in that way. You know, the market might turn on you and, and therefore you do decide mm, I'm not going to sell it now and take, potentially make a loss or, or maybe rental prices um, have, have gone up. Um, that therefore it makes more sense to do a buy to let, but that can then have fairly significant tax um, complications going down the line. So, you know, those things, you know, things can be done, but it's so much easier and cheaper to make those decisions beforehand and get that right strategy and business structure set up beforehand. Uh, so for listeners, start with the end in mind, imperative for when you are uh, cracking on with your property portfolio. Uh, sure then, without, without further ado, the six top tax tips, bit of a tongue twister, uh, as we said off record. Um, these are six tips that you, you've basically come up with, and this is a result of both your profession, i.e. being an accountant, but also where you're an investor as well. These are six tips that you've compiled. Uh, as I mentioned in the introduction, I'm pretty much going to sit back, uh, sort of bring, you know, basically I'll butt in where I think I need to butt in. But the, the floor is all yours. Uh, let's start off with uh, top tip number one. Yes, let's do it. And and I'm not even going to try and uh, say the tongue twister. Um, I, I think you've done an excellent job. So <laughs> there are six tips. I'll, I'll leave it at that. Um, I, w- I would just say is is who are these tips directed to? I mean, they're, they're of course directed to all investors, but I particularly enjoy working with uh, fairly uh, new uh, property investors, those are, are at the beginning of, of that, that phrase, their, their property journey. And, and really these come out of various observations that, that I've made in, in working with my clients. And, and often it's the first set of advice that I provide uh, to them. And so, yeah, let, let's go for it. I mean, the purpose of the tips really are to make great decisions at the right time based on that reliable data and based on solid advice. What's the benefit? Well, I've already said it can avoid, you know, some really bad problems further down the line. But ultimately, it also means that the investors can then sleep well at night, knowing that they're complying with their legal ob- obligations right. and also not paying any more tax than than, than you need. And, and who, who doesn't want a, a good night's sleep, of course? So... So let's let's crack on. But but just before I do that, I do say um, that you know whenever an accountant or tax advisor or any professional is is providing advice, it's always based upon that individual's 
uh, personal facts and circumstances. So I should really caveat this and say that this is very much for educational and entertainment purposes only. So, so do speak to your professional account, uh, um, advisor about any of these matters that we're going to cover today. So let's hit uh, tax tip number one. So it's a real simple one actually, but probably the most important one, which is to ma maintain good records. So what, why does that need to be done? Well, there's, there's four reasons for that. So this applies regardless of whether you're running a company or just a, a single buy-to-let, maybe you're an accidental landlord um, and you own that property in your own name. HMRC requires you to maintain appropriate books and records for HMRC's inspection. So that's one reason. Another reason is so that your accountant can accurately calculate your tax and make sure that you've accounted for all of your income and expend expenditure. So, you know, two things to think about here is, is if there's any missing expenses, well, you're gonna end up paying more tax because your profit is going to be higher. So that's not a good thing. But often, you know, perhaps more importantly is if you're missing income and you haven't accounted for all of your income and HMRC discover that, well, that's tax evasion. So, so you, you know, there are penalties for that. So those are the types of things that you definitely want to avoid. Another reason is uh, as a good business management tool, you know, who doesn't want to track their performance and, and their profits and their cash flows over the course of the year? This isn't just a year-end activity that is, is an admin headache. You want to be involved. So for example, my prof property portfolio, I can track the performance of each of my individual properties. That helps me determine which ones are working well, which ones uh, are not so. Maybe I need to invest more in one. Maybe I should be selling another. You know, the, the numbers tell me that. Yeah, you get a good feel for it, but the numbers really tell me that. And then finally, another good reason to maintain good records is to support mortgage applications. It, lenders very much will, will use, they need evidence to, to find out your income. So um, that might may well be your personal tax return. So again, you know, really important that they are, are accurate. And then of course, uh, mortgage providers will look at your company accounts if you are running the company. So we've there talked about why it's important to keep good records, but, but how should you do that? So number one, get a separate bank account for your property business. Doesn't matter if you're an accidental landlord, doesn't matter if you're running a, um, a portfolio that's all owned in your personal name um, or whether it's a limited company. In fact, you know it's a legal requirement for a limited company, but really is best practice um, if you're operating um, those, those properties and businesses in your own name. The last thing you want is for all of your personal expenses to be mixed up with your business expenses <laughs> that'll give your headache, your accountant the biggest headache. And guess what? They're going to charge you more for that as well. So save yourself some money and use a separate bank account. In terms of which banks to, to use, again, I, I'm not a uh, an independent financial advisor, but what the observation that I have seen is, is this big shift towards the challenger banks. And, and many of my clients now use the likes of Tide and um, Starling, which I've only heard good things about them rather than the traditional high street banks. In terms of my own experience, I have gone with one of those challenger banks and after struggling with a, a high street bank and the high street bank wanted to take, you know, something like three, four weeks to process my application. They initially rejected it for some reason, they couldn't validate a, a, an address. Um, whereas the challenger bank, um, I did it in 
less than 15 minutes, I think it was, including all of the ID checks. I was, I was up and running and, you know, the day, the next day or the day after that, I had a, a debit card in my hand. So all set up. Funnily enough, the high street bank that had rejected me then sent me a letter and, and all of my bank cards several weeks after that, which took me by surprise, <laughs> um, given that I hadn't actually answered all of their questions. So interesting things happening there. So that's number one, set up a separate bank account. Number two, use a proper system. So I've already already mentioned about personal expenses, giving your accounting a, a, accountant a headache. Another one will be if you just give them a shoebox full of receipts. Again, they'll charge you a lot more for that to go through that. <laughs> I can see you laughing, laughing, Rob, and, and and you've obviously had experience of that that yourself. So again, use a proper system. But what is a proper system? Well, there's so many systems available to you now, you know, the way in which technology has evolved, particularly over the last 10 years, 10 years with, you know, cloud technology and fintech apps. The fintech app that I really support and provide to my clients is, is called Hammock, usehammock.com. Um, for all of my buy select uh, clients, I provide that to them free of charge um, because uh, it allows them to then connect the app straight to their bank account. It pulls through all of the uh, the transactions and all of the data associated um, with that. Um, they can then track their performance again for each one of those properties that they own and, and also um, their entire portfolio. Really, really helpful. But not only that, it also will um, flag to them if there's rent missing or whether there's a refund that they were due but didn't come in. In fact, so many of my clients have said, oh my God, you know, I'm running a portfolio of, I don't know, 10, 20 properties. And in one of those last year, one of my tenants only paid 11 months rent and I didn't spot it. And and so Hammock will say, hey, um, the rent is due tomorrow. And it will then say, hey, it's now come in. And then, oh, that didn't come in. You want to go and chase that up with that tenant. You know, if you chase something up within a couple of days, the chances are you're going to get it. You wait longer than that, you probably won't. If you're running a more complex business, um, and particularly for things like flips, um, then I'd be recommending a cloud accounting system such as, as QuickBooks. These have great mobile phone apps. You can, again, they connect to your bank, but then you can also snap photos of your receipts, which will go straight up into the system. Your accountant can view those. Um, it keeps everything nice and simple. Okay, so that's tip number one. Let's move on to tip number two. This one is skip the discount for cash and pay VAT. So <laughs> um, I think we all know that many in, in the construction trade still offer discounts for cash. And why do they do that? Well, it, it's, it's tax evasion at the end of the day. In many cases, not all, but in many cases, tax evasion is, is of course, illegal. Um, they are doing it to avoid uh, charging you VAT and also so they don't have to pay income tax on their income. Now, HMRC are really cracking down on that at the moment. Now, whilst I would say it might be enticing to get that 20 or 30% discount that a, a tradesperson might offer you, don't. Just, just forget it. If you do that, then it's highly unlikely that you're going to get a valid receipt um, for that expense. What does that mean? Well, that means that you're not going to be able to offset that against your own taxable income. So the chances are 
you'll end up paying more in tax as a result of not being able to recognize the net expense than the original discount that's on offer. So to me, uh, it's, a, it's an absolute no brainer. Okay, that's tax tip number two. Sean, just before, so I'm just going to interject there. <clears throat> I think that's uh, a very important point because that to me comes down to a mentality thing that, you know, and I've, you know, been doing this for a few years and, you know, when you get started, you might get, I don't know, your plumber go around and say, well, it's a, it's a thousand pound job through the books, but look, hey, if you're going to do it cash, it's, you know, 600 quid. Now, I appreciate, as you said, that might be enticing, but it's when you look further on down the line that it might create complications. So you have to, you know, if you're going to treat this as a business, You've, well, you've got to treat it as a business to get business results. And I've never been audited by HMRC. I don't really want to be audited by HMRC. But I, from people that have been audited, they say it's one of the most stressful things that can happen because they will literally go through everything with a fine tooth comb. And if something like that pops up, as you pointed out, it is more hassle than it's worth. So for people listening to this that are just starting, great, great point there. Uh, it can be enticing to take the cash but it could be a massive ball ache further on down the line. I, absolutely, yeah, cannot agree more. And and once you've got that black mark against your name, HMRC are gonna be all over you for a very long time. I, I have two examples actually of where it has gone, gone wrong for people. Um, both construction companies um, actually, rather than um, you know, buy to let investors, but, but by way of example, uh, one um, was a VAT registered um, builder, and again, he was paying his suppliers uh, cash, but he was charging VAT um, himself. Um, he, he's, you know, he's a builder. He's not an accountant. Wasn't really keeping uh, a, an eye on the ball there. And then suddenly, his accountant said, "Oh, by the way, you've got a, a twelve grand VAT bill because of the the VAT that he charged to his clients. He has to pass that on to HMRC, but he didn't have any VAT that he would paid to be able to offset it." And, and that came as a complete surprise to him. Um, and, and clearly now that's something that he wants to avoid. Um, another example is a, a construction company that was, was investigated. I'm not entirely sure of the reasons uh, for that, but I can tell you a little bit about what happened afterwards is, is again, HMRC felt that um, he was doing a lot of cash in hand work and he wasn't charging, he wasn't recognizing all of the income that he was receiving. So what HMRC made him do is, is as well as providing all of um, his quotes books, which thankfully he had records of, and by the way, this guy was was clean as a whistle and, and, and hadn't been doing cash work. Um, he was required to provide all of those quote books and then he was asked to provide evidence to HMRC for those quotes that he didn't win. And this went back, I think it was three, five years, something like that. So he had to contact people that ultimately did not appoint him. And for them to write a letter to him or HMRC to say, by the way, we um, <laughs> we didn't appoint, appoint Joe Bloggs. We appointed you know, David Smith instead. And here's the invoice from David Smith to evidence the fact that we... Wow. <laughs> it was that intense. You know, these are situations that you do not want to get involved in really do not so i think we've sent the message home with with that one hopefully so let, let's move on to tip number three uh so so here we go uh, find out which taxes you need to register for 
So why? Well, HMRC does not accept ignorance or naivety as a valid excuse. They expect you to, to know or they expect you to, to talk to people that do know and will help you through that process, such as your accountant. So what are the, ty- the different types of taxes that you might need to register or operate? So number one, that the first one is the self-assessment personal tax return. So if, if you're an employee and that's your sole form of income, the chances are you don't need to complete a tax return. Why? That's because your employer is operating PAYE and national insurance on your behalf. They report it all to HMRC. They give you a P60 at the end of the year. You know, that should be the end of the story. But as soon as you start having other forms of income, such as rental income, maybe it's self-employment income, dividend income, perhaps capital gains when you sell a property, um, or, or if you become a really high earner, say over 100K, um, or if you become a company director, um, then generally speaking, you will be required to complete that personal, that self-assessment personal tax return. Now you can do it yourself, but if you do have uh, complicated tax affairs, you will definitely be wanting to speak to an accountant because they can help you reduce your tax bill as well. Um, there is an in- I have an interesting story here, actually, Rob, of um, often this confusion of, well, surely my employer is, is deducting all of the tax from my salary uh, and therefore I, I'm done. And uh, this was a story told to me by a mortgage broker um, when she was helping a landlord um, refinance his uh, portfolio of 10, 20 properties that he'd had for as many years, 10, 20 years. He had not paid any tax on that rental income. He had never completed a tax return because he thought he thought that the his employer was deducting all of the tax. So he ended up with a six-figure tax bill as, as a result of that. I mean, that's an extreme example. I could see you laughing. I had exactly the same reaction when I heard that story. I mean, thank God I wasn't dealing with that case. But yeah, that, that was certainly an interesting one. Brutal. That's, <laughs> that is absolutely brutal. But it does yeah. highlight the point. And then again, that's why that's t- uh, tip number three, isn't it? Find out which taxes you need to register for, for, for and that's a, a very prudent example. Oh man, that's, that's painful. That's painful thinking about it, but it is what it, it is. It really is. Yeah, it really is. And yeah, he obviously had to complain and, you know, entered into an arrangement with HMRC to, to pay that back over a certain period with interest and penalties as well. Lovely. So, okay. So, I mean, we're, we're still on t- uh, tip number three, but we're covering um, other types of taxes now, which I'm just going to highlight. But the next one is CIS, the Construction Industry Scheme. It feels like nobody knows about this. So, this one particularly, this applies to property developers uh, mainly, as opposed to property investors. So, um, briefly, uh, and, I, and I am summarising here because it is a fairly complicated piece of legislation. Um, it generally doesn't apply to buy-to-let landlords, and it generally doesn't apply to those doing the uh, buy, refurbish, rent, repeat approach. But if they are doing a significant amount of them in significant values, it could apply. What it really applies to is your property flippers and perhaps those doing commercial to residential conversions. And so the the background to this is, um, 
okay, let's let's take an, an extreme example is is a, um, a self-employed bricklayer um, gets paid, let's say, cash in hand again, um, spends all of that money over the weekend, um, and and by Monday it, it's gone, and they haven't put aside any amount for for tax because there's no intention of declaring it. So, so what HMRC said is, is look, this is crazy. We need to do something about it. Many of these guys are simply never going to comply. So let's shift the onus. So just in the way as the onus for employees have been, the onus has been shifted to their employers through the PAYE system, CIS has been introduced. So um, what this means is, is where perhaps just a single property flipper, you know, single guy or girl like, like like you or me, they're hiring builders, plumbers, um, they they potentially could have to operate the CIS scheme. And so what this means is, is they, they would have to register with HMRC that they are effectively contractor and they are subcontracting that work out to, um, to others, to other tradespeople. And then at the Subcontractor would also need to register for the scheme. HMRC would tell that subcontractor um, what type of status they have. And then depending on that status, the contractor, i.e. the flipper, would have to deduct either 0, 20 or 30% from their bill. Now, their bill will mainly, it will mainly just be the labor elements and not materials like that. But then the the, the developer or the flipper would then need to uh, withhold that tax, that 20, 20 or 30%, and then pass that on to HMRC as effectively an advance payment on that subcontractor's own personal tax bill. And then regardless um, of whether they're deducting zero or another percentage, um, the Flipper would then have to report that to HMRC on a monthly basis as well. So they could be in a position where they're doing nil returns also. So, I mean, it's, it's tax neutral. It's, it's not a, um, but it is an impact on, on cash flow, certainly for the individual tradesperson. Um, but it, they just get a simple offset against their own, uh, against their own uh, personal tax bill at, at the end of the year. No one seems to know about this, but but it's something that you know people should certainly look into, particularly if they're doing flipping. Great, and then just a couple of quick ones, really. VAT, if if um, you're operating a a, a a type of business that's subject to VAT, such as service accommodation, and if your revenue is over 85k, make sure you're registered for VAT. Many other types of property strategies are, are VAT exempt, so. There's no VAT on rent income, for example, so you wouldn't need to register there. And then finally, capital gains. This has been in the news recently as um, pursuant to the, the last budget, um, when individuals sell a residential property, um, previously they would have to pay their tax and do all the reporting within 30 days. Thankfully, that's now been extended to, to 60 days, but, but something to keep an eye on as well if you are planning to sell a property. Okay. So let's move on to tip number four. So this one is make sure you use all of your tax allowances. A good accountant will save you more in tax than you pay them in fees, certainly over the long term. Maybe not in year one, but, but certainly in all of those further years, 
you will definitely save money with their services. Now, there are various ways that they can help you do that. And, and sadly, um, many of those ways are often overlooked by um, accountants that maybe generalist accountants or, or maybe you know, cut price accountants and perhaps rushing rushing a little. Um, so it shouldn't be overlooked really, but it, it does happen. So let's make you aware of at least some of these so that you can at least challenge your accountant on those. So I have uh, several examples here. So number one is is travel. So if you're traveling to and from your, your properties or to see your accountant or, or to see your letting agent, then that is generally a business trip. And if you own your own car, then um, you can uh, have an allowance of 45p per mile, which is pretty generous. Um, another one is if you're working from home in managing your property business, then you can allow a deduction for a certain proportion of your home expenses. So if you have an office, for example, that you might be using, say, 50% of the time for managing your business, you could deduct a proportion um, of those home expenses. Alternatively, and more simplistically, there's a simple working from home allowance. So again, a, another good saving there. And then another good one is if you're married and perhaps your spouse does not work, and so they're not using their full um, personal allowance each year, then a portion of that can be transferred to the working spouse, which, which is absolutely ideal. Um, another one is if you perhaps have made a, a loan, a director's loan to your company that you, you own, if you have uh, no other interest income, which is pretty typical these days, given low interest rates and, the fa and for property investors, particularly because they're investing most of their spare funds in, in property, then you do have the option of charging interest on, on that loan as well. So you could potentially utilize your, um, your annual tax-free interest allowance as well. So a little bit more money, completely tax-free. And then on a similar vein, uh, you could, um, if, again, if you're operating a company, you could use your annual dividend allowance of, of 2,000 pounds per year. Um, so if the, prop, uh, the company has sufficient profits within that company, you could pay yourself a, a dividend of 2,000 pounds, completely tax-free. Uh, many of my my clients who are investor property investors say, "Well, to be honest, I want to just keep all the the, um, the money and the profits in that company, and so I don't want to pay myself, uh, particularly at the beginning of, of their property journey." But that's not a problem as well. You can still declare that dividend, and then the director can then immediately just loan that money back uh, to the company, and then that loan can be repaid tax free at a later date. So the the company retains all of that cash for future investment. So these are just a few simple ones. There are many more. Um, again, your, your accountant can certainly help you with those. Yeah, I, okay. I, like, I like. I definitely like some of them. I mean, some of them we've utilised before. Uh, maybe that's to be fair. Probably be worth a whole episode on its own. To be honest with you, um, uh, just trying to think what I was going to say. Just on the just on the mileage and. Hopefully, I say this correctly. Apologies if I don't. But at the time of recording this, uh, it's forty-five pence a mile for the first ten thousand miles, right. and then anything after that is twenty-five pence a mile. Is that correct? That's right. Yeah. Perfect. Uh, and then I'm sure other people uh, listening might be thinking about you know dividends and uh, recent. I think there was a recent uh, increase in dividend allowance. 
again, it's more of a numbers spreadsheet thing and something worth speaking to someone like yourself, Sean, as well as uh, your mortgage broker. But actually, it could be quite cost effective to utilize your uh, individual allowance per year. And again, this is off the top of my head. So this is what this is how I'm thinking. You can utilize your individual allowance per year of, say, X. And then rather than take anything over and above that, rather than taking that as income and then you charge income tax at what I believe is 20%, you could then take a big whopping dividend uh, at a lower tax rate and then you might find that's more tax efficient. Have I got that correct to the best of my knowledge? You have. Um, so, um, I mean, dividend in income is, is generally the, the top, it's treated as the top slice of, of income. So, the first slice is, is always employment. So, mm -hmm. if, if, for example, your employment income uses up your um, annual personal allowance, which is around about 12 and a half grand, um, you then become a basic rate taxpayer um, and pay income tax at, at 20% until you become a higher rate taxpayer at just over 50 grand. Now, um, you know, the vast majority of the population are, are basic rate taxpayers. Uh, and so you could um, structure your earnings. Um, well, if, if you're a basic rate taxpayer, you could structure then the amount that you take from your limited company, if you oh. use a limited company to own your property. Um, in, indeed, you could use that dividend allowance of two grand, but then any additional dividends that you take assuming that they don't push you over into the higher rate tax band, uh, that the, the dividend tax rate is only 7.5%, which is clearly much lower than the, um, uh, the the tax rate on employment income of 20%. So it's very tax efficient to do it in that way. I mean, I, I should flag that you know, dividend tax rates are moving up by one and a quarter percent in the new tax year, just in the same way as, as na national insurance. What I do with my clients is, um, you know, over the course of the year and typically as part of an annual tax planning review is, is really work with them to find out um, what's the best way of, of structuring their, their income each, each year and deciding how much to take out in dividends. Uh, you can pay yourself a salary from uh, your company as well. Um, if you don't have any outside employment income, you know, you could pay yourself from the limited company and completely use up your personal allowance all tax-free um, before you even start to pay yourself in, in dividends. Um, you can consider, you, you need to look at things like national insurance as well. So the effectively the, the national insurance um, free band is a little bit lower than your annual personal allowance. So you might want to take a little bit less than the, the 12 and a half grand, for, for example, before you start moving on to dividends. The beauty about taking um, paying yourself a salary from your company is, is that salary then becomes a tax deductible expense for the company um, at nineteen percent on the corporation tax. So there's there's lots of um, dials and knobs and levers that we can adjust in order to get to that optimum um, tax efficient position. And of course, this is this isn't tax avoidance. This is this is just simply good tax planning. And working within the law to ensure that you do not um, you do not pay any more tax than you're legally obligated to do. The challenge that I often run into is 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 that you know people leave appointing their their accountant until you know after the year end, for example, 
and, right. and the, the final interview year end. It's, too, it's often too late to do anything then. So this is why it's good to be engaging your, your accountant or any other professional advisor, particularly things like mortgage brokers, right up front. Have, the, have them on call so you can get, have a chat and work through these issues. Totally agree, 100%. I couldn't agree more, to be fair, Sean. Uh, talking of which, actually, a uh, spoiler alert, that's point number six. Uh, but uh, that's uh, point number four. Going back to point number four, using all available tax allowances. So, I mean, there's a lot there. Maybe that's something we can do a, an episode on further on down the line, because that information you know, is changing um, every now and then. Uh, anything else to add to that point before you go on to point number five? Uh, no, let's go on to point number five, because I think this that actually ties in really well with what we were just talking about. So, so this one is, is to the extent possible, determine your property strategy and business structure in advance. Mm-hmm. So again, this is all about planning from, from, I wouldn't even say day one, day zero or day, day, day minus one. Let's get things set up right, right from the off. So I mean, there are, there's a wealth of different business structures available to property investors, and some are more suitable than others for certain property stra- strategies and also each individual's facts and circumstances. So, I mean, let's just consider individual facts and circumstances for a moment. These will depend on your goals, your personal tax position, and your exit plan. So if we think about your goals, so is your you know, long-term goal here to invest for capital growth or is it to build a, um, a larger buy-to-let portfolio or is it just a, a desire for immediate cash flows to live on today? You know, things like that will change the, um, the business structure that you ultimately adopt. So that's why you need to know that in, ad- in advance. Similarly, your, your tax position as well. Um, are you employed? Are you a basic or higher rate taxpayer? Maybe you're an additional rate taxpayer. What other forms of income do you have? And again, these are the things that will drive you know, whether you go with a limited company or in property in your personal name. And then again, end plan in mind, what's your exit plan? Do you intend to sell those properties perhaps over the course of your retirement or just before you retire? Do you want to hold those assets for the long term and just, you know, live on that rental income perhaps and, until the end of your days? Um, or, or do you want to, do you have children and want to be able to pass on that portfolio to them, um, perhaps as they become adults or, or, or just when you die? These are all the things that will very much determine which uh, business structure you will adopt. So your accountant should be engaging you in that specific conversation. They will um, they will want to understand your current facts and circumstances. They will need to understand your personal and business ambitions. Um, again, this is why you need a property accountant rather than a generalist accountant, in, in my view, at least. Of course, I'm biased. Um, <laughs> so, so, I mean, I, let's you know, let's cut to the chase. Here is is the number one question that all new clients or, or prospects that talk to me is, should I use a limited company or own the property in my personal name? Always the first question, always, yeah. always, always. So <laughs> I, I, th- I think most, most of your listeners 
probably know, but let's just go over it, is, is that there has been this huge shift of the use of limited companies, particularly for buying buy-to-lets over the last you know, four or five years in particular. Um, as a result of that, and because there's so much talk about it, is, is that now newbie investors are effectively seeing that as the default position, whereas it's, that, that's often not the case. Um, the reason that, that we've seen this shift is, is because of Section 24. So, you know, without going into too much depth there, is, is what that has done is restricted the amount of relief that, um, that property investors get from their tax return in, in the, the deductibility of the interest expense on their mortgages. So what, what that means is, is that if you're a higher rate taxpayer that owns buy-to-let property, for example, in your personal name, you are no longer able to deduct the full amount of mortgage interest on those properties when calculating your taxable profits. So ultimately, their tax bills have, have increased dramatically in some cases, particularly if interest rates are high or maybe they're very highly leveraged. Um, whereas if you are perhaps a higher rate taxpayer, but perhaps don't have any mortgages or very small mortgages on those, com on those properties, it really doesn't matter. Hasn't really made it hasn't made a difference really at all. But because of all this talk, people now think, ah, well, I need to buy everything in a limited company. But but that is not always the case. And this comes back to your individual facts and circumstances. Are you a basic rate or higher rate taxpayer? What's your um, what what is your property strategy? So by way of example, if you plan to grow your property business by simply just reinvesting all of those profits then the chances are a limited company is, is going to be better for you. Why is that? That's because corporation tax rates are generally lower than personal tax rates. So what that means is, is that the, the profits on that business will be taxed at a lower rate. You'll have more profits retained for future investment. Whereas, of course, if you're paying tax at a higher rate, there's less money then available to, um, to use uh, for, uh, for future reinvestment. If though, for example, you are a buy-to-let investor and you simply want access to those cash flows and profits today to live on, then the chances are, uh, and if you don't have a large mortgage as well, then the chances are that it's probably going to be better to continue to own those properties in your personal name because the issue you'll have with the limited company is effectively um, you potentially could be taxed twice. So you'll pay corporation tax at 19% as it currently is. Um, again, that's increasing in, in, in the future. But then when you take that money out of the company, you're then going to pay dividend tax on it. So, so we just need to be very careful there. So again, it's really important of what's your strategy, what's your exit plan, you know, what's the end goal here. Income tax and, and corporation tax are not the, the only drivers here, of course. It's not all about um, the, the accounting. Um, so, you know, sometimes it is better to, to use uh, limited um, companies for things like um, wealth protection, for, for example. Um, if you're sued, the limited company is a separate legal person. So, I don't know, you, let's, let's say you didn't renew your you know, your landlord's insurance and, and your tenant has a slip or fall or something like that and sues you, you know, if, if you are personally own that property, then they're going to come after you personally. Whereas if it's a limited company, they can only go after the assets in that limited company and not your personal assets. Typically speaking, talk to a solicitor about that. 
another thing with with limited companies as well and, and again defining goals is 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 making sure that you have the right business in the right company so by way of example you wouldn't want to um, mix a buy to let business and a flipping business in that same limited company so why is that well the chances are if you do do that you may have may struggle to get mortgage lending flipping is is generally considered higher risk you know can easily go wrong and a mortgage lender that's perhaps lending to the buy to let element of the business they uh, they're most concerned about getting their money back right so if the, if the flipping company has a massive loss you know they'll they'll see that as as a big risk so if if they come across that what what are they going to do they're either going to just say no so there's fewer lenders in the market or or they're going to see it's high risk and therefore charge more wow. interest another aspect to that as well is is if you if you're doing flipping in in a company that also does perhaps brr well then you could potentially bring yourself in in scope of cis the construction industry scheme and then have to operate that for the brr element of the business so you've got an extra headache there and then then also in terms of not mixing different types of businesses with with buy to let is is buy to let which is an investment business but you know flipping is a trading business um but say serviced accommodation is also airbnb is is also a trading business um, there's certain additional tax advantages that trading businesses have that investment businesses do not get so i think of things like the the business asset disposal really for trading business that which might be good for a service accommodation company that could could be lost if you're also doing buy to lets in there as well then if we um are just thinking about the ownership of those companies again additional tax advantages here is have a think about who ultimately owns those companies so for example if 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 i say a husband and wife team but say only one of the couple um own the company well when you pay out dividends you've only got one dividend allowance oh. let's make both the husband and wife shareholders of that company so at least you can pay you can utilize dividend allowances for both of those individuals again that's that's not a general rule here again depends on facts and circumstances again there's there's options like that that as accountants we can help investors structure their businesses um in the most tax efficient way um and then finally thinking further ahead you know children um so if we're looking to optimize or minimize inheritance tax um things like children could we bring those on as shareholders now this is a really complex area so it's way beyond the scope of 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 this podcast now um but you could potentially bring children on as as shareholders either when they're adult but it is possible to bring them on uh when they're, they're still children the challenge here is is that you know you really want to be speaking with your mortgage broker about this as as you might find yeah I can see you nodding <laughs> we might find that the mortgage broker says or the lender says well hold on we expect that the shareholders and the directors of the company to be the same yet children cannot be directors of companies and and this is where problems can lie now that's not a rule across the board there are lenders that will lend um uh, in in this case but again this is where you need to be speaking to to you know multiple experts um which is which is exactly which is exactly the uh, the next tip that I'm I'm going to come on to so so let's move on to that next tip if if you're happy to Rob 
Yeah, la, la, last but not least, number six. Yep, and, and you know, I could probably say that each of these six tips are, are the most important one, and 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 perhaps this this is the one, but that that's very much uh, d- debatable. So this one is appoint your team of industry experts. So I, I like to introduce this with you know the old sayings of a little knowledge is dangerous, and you don't know what you don't know, mm-hmm. and <laughs> there's so much truth in that. So so with that you know, from the start, make sure you appoint your team of trusted advisors, your industry experts. It's not just accountants, it's your solicitors, it's your mortgage brokers, it's your estate or letting agents. You know, you want to get your, your tradespeople in there as well. What I, what I see is, is people generally don't do that. And, and this is particularly the case when budgets are tight. And that, that again, I, that's understandable. That really applies in the early days when you want to be doing all the right things, but just simply don't have the budget for. So what I see property investors do is either delaying or, or simply avoiding appointing the experts or just simply hiring cheaper alternatives. I mean, if, if I was to group my clients when they first come to me, I can group them into four categories. So I guess the, the best ones, are, I suppose I could say, are the, those that are new to property, but they want to get everything right, right from the beginning. So that's the ideal situation. You then move on to those that are also new to property. Um, perhaps they've been in business for, say, just over a year, but they've completely ignored or largely ignored the accounting and tax, and now perhaps find that they have to file a tax return next week and don't know what to do, and their accounts are a mess. And you know, that, that, those, those provide headaches, as I really say. I've already talked about generalist accountants. I, I, I don't want to sound like I'm on a mission against generalist accountants because I'm, I'm really not. They're just good examples. So, you know, they will provide generalist advice because they're also serving, I don't know, hairdressers, mechanics, taxi drivers, and maybe a couple of landlords as well. Um, but, you know, it's, we, we all have, you know, so much capacity and, and, and therefore, you know, we only have certain amounts of time and experience to get grips with complexity and property is complex. And, and then finally, the fourth category of, of investors is, is those that have gone with you know, cut price accountants uh, or professionals. Um, so I'm making this up now, I hope there isn't an accounting firm called this, but say <laughs> cheap accountants are us. Uh, and so, you know, these ones are perhaps, you know, employing junior accountants that are not not qualified yet um, maybe um, they're offshoring the work to some low-cost country you know typically what happens is is my clients come to me and say look we, every time we call it's a different person that we speak to or they never call me back or they take two weeks to answer an email you know they they don't know the answers to the questions when I ask them and and, and eventually just just give up um, and often with you know having paid more tax than they need so I would say, and I think I've already said it, is, is, is that these challenges don't just apply to accountants. This applies to the entirety of, of your, your core team. Um, so I mean, what would I say if, if you want to avoid these types of horror stories? So how do you go ahead and appoint in the right advisor for you? Because the right advisor for you is not going to be the same. You know, The right advisor for me um, is going to be a different one to you, Rob, for, for example. So this very much depends on say, the size and complexity of your business, the stage that your business is at. So, you know, are you uh-huh. at the startup stage, growth, maturity, decline? And um, what are your existing skills and experience? That, that'll change things dramatically and whether you want to be really hands-on 
or hands off. I have a mixture of clients. Some, you know, they do their own bookkeeping and, and you know what, they do a damn good job of it. They're not accountants, but they do a great job of it. Others to say, look, I don't, I, I, I like to use the phrase, um, um, you do what you do best and I'll do the rest. And, and so, you know, classic out, outsourcing model um, and, and it works well, you know, property investors are property investors for a reason because they're good at doing property. They're not necessarily good at legal work or accounting work or, or whatever it might be, marketing. Um, what are your personal goals and ambitions? We've, we've, we've talked about that already. And then finally budget. That's always going to be the, be the case. We'd, we'd always like to be able to get the best, but you know, sometimes it, you know, you don't necessarily want to be paying, you know, the big four, I don't know what they charge these days, you know, a partner a thousand pounds an hour or whatever it might be. So the next one is, is to really assess that advisor and then really ask yourself, are they right for you? What sort of questions um, will you be asking yourself and of, of them? You know, are they genuinely interested in you, you personally and your business? Uh, are they a generalist or, or specialist? Do they walk the walk as well as talking the talk? So are they a property investor themselves? Are they qualified? Are they using the latest uh, technology you know, be it on cloud accounting systems or I've spoke about hammock or, already, um, are they responsive? And, and then finally, can you get along with them? You know, can, can you, you know, chat about what you did at the weekend and your favorite football team, whatever it might be, you know, perhaps you might share some common interest. That's always really, really helpful. And so, um, you know, as, as I said before, you know, make sure you appoint them at day one. Um, that way you'll have everything set up as, as you should be. And then, then, you know, over the long run, they will save you more money than, than you pay them. And, you know, this isn't just about day one as well. This applies throughout the life cycle of your business. So anytime you either changing your strategy, making it, you know, buying a new property, um, you know, doing some kind of restructuring, you know, don't just talk to one of your advisors, you know, it's the quick, easy thing to do ask one of them what's the answer to the question okay it must be right but as i say before is they have a narrow field of, of vision and expertise you know accountants are accountants they're not mortgage brokers so i've already used the example before of, of the children uh, the children as shareholders it's fine it's prime perhaps from a tax perspective it's not fine from a lending perspective perhaps oh. um similarly you know i think um this has been mentioned on a prior podcast rob is is that you know, you might be using a solicitor to deal with your land tax stamp duty. Um, but but you know what? An accountant can perhaps save you a little bit more money. Um, for example, you know, they're likely to know about multiple dwellings relief. So you, you won't have to pay, pay as much in stamp duty. Your solicitor may well overlook that. And then finally, last point here is if something doesn't feel right, you know, if something feels like it's too good to be true, you know, don't be afraid to challenge your advisor and, and, and do ask for a second opinion from another party. They're my six tips. Uh, perfect stuff. So what, what I'm going to do, Sean, is summarize that very, very quickly uh, just for, for the listeners. So th these particular tips, as you've highlighted, uh, they're not necessarily in order of importance because, as you've said already, they're, they're equally as important as the next one, but number one, maintain good records. Uh, number two, skip the discount for cash and pay uh, VAT. Number three, find out which taxes uh, you need to register for. Number four, use all your available uh, tax allowances. 
And number five, determine your property strategy and business structure effectively from day zero. Uh, and then last but not least, appoint number six, uh, appoint your team of industry experts. The only thing I'd add on top of all that, as you would know, being an investor as well, is a lot of this is is mentality. So when it comes to appointing uh, members of your power team or, you know, everyone likes a good deal. Don't get me wrong, it's, it's part of our nature, but you really do get what you pay for. So try and go from that, uh, I say negative mentality, just try and get into that investor mindset. Uh, so say, for example, someone, Sean, I don't know, might sit down with you, have a few meetings, a few coffees or whatever, and they might pay a, a couple of thousand pounds for advice or whatever it may or may not be. You have to think of that as an investment because as you've quite rightly said, build that relationship, but the odds are that if you invest wisely, good power team, they will more than likely save you more than that investment in, in the future, and that is a good ROI, effectively. So, so a bit waffly of me there, to apologize uh, uh, listeners as well, a bit of waffling on a little bit. But yeah, those are the six top tax tips. Uh, Sean, how can people get hold of you? How can people find you? Okay, um, so two, two ways, either via my website, uh, which is propertytaxaccountant.uk, um, if not, um, I'm I'm all over Instagram. So, um, property tax accountant UK with underscores between each of uh, the, the words. So, property underscore tax underscore accountant underscore UK. Wonderful stuff. And as usual, we will put those links into the show notes as well. If you're watching this on YouTube, uh, they'll be in the description below. Uh, Sean, uh, massive thank you for your time. That incredible amount of insight there. I think we'll probably get a few more. Uh, episodes deep diving into various bits and pieces as well Uh, just a massive thank you for your time oh my pleasure and i'd love to come back thank you very much